Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back. I am so glad you guys are tuning in for this one because I've really put a ton of thought into this and I've thought about this guest for many years and then we got him. So I was really, really excited, but it's an incredibly impactful story. And I thought, how do we really set this up? And and I thought this might be the best way. Think about when we wake up in the morning, we never really know if this is going to be the day. The day that going to your regular job and doing what you normally do suddenly becomes anything but normal. Something, who knows what, comes across your desk that changes not only your own life, but alters the world. And so it went in 2002 for Bennett Omalu, a young medical doctor in Pittsburgh who was toiling as a pathologist, studying and scrutinizing the tissue of the dead to name what took their life. So back it up to 2002, he was working at the Allegheny County Coroner's Office where he conducted independent self-financed tissue analysis on the body of a 50-year-old man named Mike Webster. Here's the thing. Webster's corpse looked a lot older than 50. Who was he? Dr. Omalu needed to find out more, especially when he examined slides of Webster's brain. He thought the kind of damage he was witnessing should not be in the brain of a 50-year-old otherwise healthy man. What the doctor found would become known as the autopsy that changed football and is arguably the most important sports story of the 21st century. We welcome the very brave doctor who went up against the masters of the National Football League universe to shine a harsh light on what today is known as chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. Dr. Bennett Omalu, the first person to ever discover physical evidence that links football-related brain injuries to dementia. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz, doctor. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you for having me. I'm blushing, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you deserve all of it because I've studied your story. Your story has been in the news, but now with hindsight, it is fascinating and a great opportunity for us to hear your story. And, And it can really be spread out and it can be almost stretched to any profession where something comes across somebody's desk and you realize, wait a minute, this could yeah. change not just my own life, but the world. Um, you, you were a pathologist at the coroner's office in Allegheny County, right? How was life yes. back then? What were you doing? What was your daily life like? Well, you know, um, I always tell people something that does not kill you will make you a better person. Mm. So um, ironically, then I was struggling with severe depression. I developed a childhood depression. You know, I had some childhood traumas. So I was, um, you know, working hard to get along, just um, take life day by day. Make it through the day. Yeah, a lot of people with depression just can barely lift their head in the morning. 
Yes, you know. So, but ironically, because of my struggles with depression, I empathized with Mike Webster when I encountered him on my autopsy table. And like I always do, I speak to my patients quietly in my heart. Mm. I walked up to him and I said to him, Mike, Dad, I feel you. I understand you. I don't think there is anything wrong with you. As a person, I think football did this to you, but you got to, you have to show me the way to the truth. So maybe if I were not suffering depression, I may not have um, identified with him or empathized with him. So I had no reason to do his autopsy. We knew why he died. He had a massive heart attack. But I wanted to vindicate him. America has given me so much. So all I could do was to give back. So I chose to perform an autopsy on him. I chose to examine his brain. Um, and I remember when I opened up his skull, I expected to see a damaged, shriveled brain. But amazingly, his brain looked normal. Hmm. His brain looked normal. So the office I was working for said they wouldn't pay for the brain examination because we knew why he died and the autopsy was not even necessary. So I asked if I could have the permission to pay for the analysis to examine the brain to vindicate Mike Webster. Mike Webster, it turns out, for those of you who don't know, was a Pittsburgh Steeler who for many years played in the NFL. Um, And I want to get to each step of what you then found by self-funding this investigation. But you mentioned childhood trauma. Let's let's take you back a little bit because we want to set up how you became who you are and how you found the courage to eventually go up against the National Football League. You were born in 1968. And for those of you listeners who know Nigerian history or don't, you know, you know, the country was admired in civil war. How did the strife affect your family? Well, I was born a refugee. My parents and my brothers and sisters were refugees. Um, I was born in a dilapidated refugee hospital. So life was very difficult. Um, I was about three years old when the war ended. So I never really, the first three, four years of my life, we were moving around as uh, impoverished refugees. Mm. So that was when my childhood trauma began. And then as I grew up after the war, as I grew up, I began to encounter the corruption in my country. And my sense of idealism was not consistent with what I was seeing in my country. I thought we could do better. And that contributed to my childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's let's kind of uh, drill down into that. You started school at age three. And, and yes. folks, we're not talking mommy and me. This was actual school, right? 
<laughs> in a sense, so yes. I, I started uh, kindergarten or preschool at uh, three years old because my older brother, who was about three years older than me, started school. And I would cry and cry and cry to go with him. And my father went to the school principal and said, could you let him in? Let's see if he could cope. <laughs> and that was it. I, be, I, start, I, I, I began performing even better than uh, my, my brother's age group. <laughs> well, uh, well, when you talk about coping, you must have coped fine because by age 12, you enrolled in the government college, right? And finished there by age 16? Yeah, I got into medical school at 15. <laughs> what? what? I don't advise anybody to do that, to be honest. But I think what happened, you know, in Nigeria in those days, um, mental health was not recognized really as an entity. Mm. And I remember sometimes I brought it to my family's attention that, look, I think there's something wrong with me mentally. Oh, I was like to shut up that you don't say things like that. You're not crazy. You're not a madman. Okay. So um, what I now did, which I, I was lucky, rather than engaging in self-pity, I chose to shut down every other aspect of my life and delve myself into academic um, pursuits. Because huh. um, today I have about eight degrees and professional certifications. And so because I, I used education as a form of self-empowerment to overcome the darkness of my depression. Well, most people self-medicate, and, and that doesn't end so well, but it feels like you, as you say, you dove headfirst into books and studying. But how? what made you think, Bennett, that there was something wrong with you? Well, um, watch other kids. Uh, my brothers, um, they were more socially active than me. Um I would always want to be alone. I was uh, very sensitive. Um, and I discovered my spirit was always low. Mm. Uh, sometimes I had no energy. Um, I say, maybe my, when I became 10, 11, other boys were becoming interested in girls, talking about girls. I mean, I did not even have any clue what girls were. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Depression, you know, shuts down your libido. Sure. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I completely lost interest in the routine things of life that give joy and make people happy. So I, I was lucky. I had the intuition that, look, something is wrong. Um, I thought I could be, I was not born to be this way. But again, I felt there was this inner strength in me telling me, Bennett, this is not your fault. This is not your fault. Just hang in there, do what you have to do, and believe. Just like the sun will rise tomorrow, there shall be another day tomorrow that will give you the opportunity to keep on making yourself better. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. 
match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listen Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you think the struggles that you were having tilted you to choose forensic pathology. I mean, most medical school students want live patients. Uh, you went for the dead ones. <laughs> well, what happened, you know, because I, you know, I became very academically successful. Um, in those days in Nigeria, my parents again compelled me to go to medical school. That the smartest kids went to medical school. I had wanted to be a pilot. They did not listen to me. I was very good in uh, music. I, I was writing music. I was very good in linguistics, Latin and French. But my parents shut all that down and told me I would go to medical school. Mm. I went to medical school. The you know the discipline of uh, the life of a medical student. I wasn't cut out for that. So that got my depression worse. Oh well, <laughs> you know, are you sure your are you sure your parents aren't Jewish? Because you know, growing up Jewish, my dad was like, "You got to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a fail <laughs> or a failure." <laughs> Nigerian parents are known for that too. <laughs> I know, I know Nigerians. They are focused and they are very, very, uh, you know, results oriented in that regard. Well, well, let's just talk a little bit about uh, completing medical college in Nigeria. You were 22. Most of us have just gotten our undergraduate degree then. You say that you became disillusioned with all the corruption in Nigeria and you decided to come yeah. to the U.S. You started in yeah. Seattle and then you went to Pittsburgh, right? Yes, yes. You know, um, I dropped off uh, a medical school at some point. I just couldn't cope. And after a couple of months, that same inner strength told me, okay, what are you going to do? Energy, you're not a waiter. And by Lord God Almighty, you would overcome this. Hang in there. Live your life one day at a time. So I went back to medical school. Now, when I completed medical school, the next question was, what are, what am I going to do with my life? I did not enjoy practicing, you know, the typical medicine, seeing patients. Yeah. I was very good at it, but I, I did not enjoy it. So I said to myself, I was being very pragmatic. Okay, Bernard, you cannot waste seven years of your life. Um, you need to do something. There is an option. So I looked at medicine. I saw that the non-clinical um, specialties were radiology and pathology. And even in pathology, the most non-clinical aspect of pathology is forensic pathology. Mm -hmm. So I chose to do forensic pathology um, because it gives me some level of solace and peace. The dead body is such a peaceful body. And 
helping people answer questions yes. and bring closure yes. to people, to Mike Webster's family. I remember when Mike, Mike's wife called me and said to me, Bennett, I wish you came sooner. Mm. That if I had known that Mike was sick, I wouldn't have divorced him. I oh. would have been there to stand by him and fight a good fight with him. But thank you for what you have done. So that gives me peace. Again, you know, I, I tell people, failure is guaranteed in your life. Challenges, difficulties. Yes. yes. But yes. what will make you successful is your capacity and your ability to equitize your failures, to turn them, to use your inadequacies and create value. That was exactly what I did. <laughs> You're preaching our religion here on Everyone Talks to Liz. Failure is not a bad thing. In fact, it is yes. the path to success. And you're not in it if you're not failing. But Bennett, tell yes. me tell me exactly, you know, what has become known as the autopsy that changed football. You started looking at slides of Mike Webster's brain. What did you notice first that indicated oh. to you Oh my goodness! Something, something's seriously wrong here. Okay, so what happened then? I was doing my specialization in neuropathology, okay, or pathology of the brain, mm -hmm. and I encountered Alzheimer's disease. And I began to think this thing called Alzheimer's disease. It may not actually be a real disease. It may just be an end product of different diseases, end stage disease. That is why it presents in people at the, you know, in older ages. Okay. Mm -hmm. So just for the fun of it, remember I was struggling with depression. I had no social life. So I created something for me to be doing. I began spending my own money to examine brains and do specialized studies just as a hobby for the sake of it. Just let me have something I'm doing. Okay. And I began to look at brains of people to see, look, if human beings are exposed to repetitive trauma all their life, couldn't those repetitive traumas, even when they are minor traumas, couldn't that be some form of cumulative exposure that would become a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease? Okay. Hmm. So that was the, uh, the brain of a woman. I remember her name. Her name was Florence. How she was beaten up so many years by her husband. She was physically abused and eventually her husband pushed her down a flight upstairs. She impacted her head on the floor, developed subdural hemorrhage, and died. Mm. I examined her brain and saw changes in her brain. I did not understand what those changes were. They, the, the changes were not Alzheimer's disease. So, well, I dismissed it, whatever. So now, remember, I did not grow up in America. I did not know what football was all about. I grew up playing soccer. Okay. All I knew was that this American football was a game where people dressed up like extraterrestrials, wearing <laughs> fat heads and fat shoulders, running around the field and slamming into one another. Mm-hmm. There was no post. I, I, I wondered, why is it called football? All they did was throw the ball. <laughs> so um, I said to myself, 
If this man played this game for 17 years, couldn't he have been exposed to thousands of impacts? Yes. And I knew, this is very basic science, that a helmeted head does not protect the brain from acceleration, deceleration injuries. I knew that. So with or without a helmet, I knew that such violent impacts had the capacity to cause permanent brain damage. And when I heard about Mike Webster's behavior, and then on Fox News that morning, they were talking about other football players who were retired, who could not manage their money well, who became alcoholics, who became, I'm like, wait a minute. There may be an underlying commonality or denominator amongst all these people if they are manifesting the same behaviors after retirement. So that was what gave me the inkling or the conviction to spend money, spend time, and examine my my, my Webster's brain. At some point, I got permission from my boss, Dr. Cyril Wett, okay, who was a preeminent uh, uh, forensic pathologist also. You mentioned Jewish. He was Jewish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a few of us out there. <laughs> Dr. Wett gave me the platform. Gave me the platform to do what I did. Now, I was blessed to work under such an intelligent man. Because there could have been many bosses that would have shut me down. Well, sure. And but, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Because, uh, I mean, you're taking on... What is religion? Forget just Pittsburgh in the United States, and that is National Football League games. And uh, suddenly you find that people aren't appreciating you and what you're discovering. They're furious. Yes, you know, I did not know what the NFL stood for. I did not know what a quarterback was. I did not know what a touchdown was. I did not know why after a touchdown you get a kick. I didn't know these things. Okay. Yeah. So I was naive and innocent. All I was doing was to vindicate Mike Webster and enhance his humanity. Because I knew if I enhanced his humanity, I was also enhancing and uplifting my own humanity. Okay. So I thought I was doing something good. And even when I saw the changes and then examined Terry Long's brain, Andrew Waters, Justin Swicek, and on and on and on. I began seeing a pattern. So I felt good. Yes, let me announce my results. Let us, let me contribute my part in saving the world, in making a change to make people's lives better. Sure. I was proving wrong. Oh. The NFL, they, they called me a voodoo doctor. <gasps> I mean, they threw everything at me. Do you know till today, Goodell has never reached out to me. Really? Because, you know, Commissioner Goodell did grant you supposedly an opportunity to present your findings to the NFL, but then you got there and they wouldn't let you in? Yes. They don't even talk to me. I was personal on brother. (laughs) But I said to myself, if a civil war did not kill me, Childhood traumas did not kill me. Severe depression did not kill me. Who is the NFL? <laughs> no, honestly. The NFL, I said they're not going to stop you. What are they going to do? Not Nothing. I wasn't afraid. In fact, I, I got angry. Because I thought there was no corruption in America. But America was a country of light. 
Okay. I said, I can't run away from my country, one of the most corrupt countries in the world, to come here in America that I think is God's own country to encounter corruption? I said, no, I'm not. Where, am I, where else am I going to run to? <laughs> well, but, uh, this America is my home. And I'm going to fight it out. <laughs> when did you realize, Bennett, that even as the NFL was putting up a, an ice wall against you and football fans didn't want to hear it and even some players the players union wasn't exactly welcoming what you had discovered when did you begin to see signs that hold on people are listening well that was in 2005 2006 when i eventually published the mike webster case report because remember I wanted to publish Mike Webster's case in the Neurosurgery Journal because the NFL published all their papers, mm -hmm. uh, their, their medical committee, a traumatic brain injury committee, they published all their papers in the Neurosurgery Journal. So I wanted to take it to their own tough. Look, look, look at what I found. Isn't this wonderful? It took them about three years to review it, to publish it, but luckily it was published. Then as soon as it was published, the NFL doctors came after me very aggressively and suggested that I was a criminal, that I did not examine Mike Webster's brain, that what I saw, I made it up, that my paper must be retracted. Okay. Mm. And if that was done, that was the end of my career as a doctor. So when I saw their letter, the journal sports editor reached out to me. He said, Bennett, this is serious. The journal had set up a committee to review the claims of the NFL and come up with a judgment so that I needed to respond to the NFL doctor's letter. Got it. I was very nervous. Uh, then, then I used to drink uh, Johnny Walker. <laughs> so I bought myself a <laughs> Walker golfing down. I was sweating. So I read the letter by the NFL doctors. I couldn't believe what I read. I discovered I knew the science better than the highly paid NFL doctors. They did not know what they were talking about. And that shocked me. Mm. I said, well, for this Big doctors, the NFL, the mighty NFL, to respond to a mouse like me. And yet their letter was so emotional. That was the moment I knew I had encountered something impactful. Well, you were the mouse that roared. And it's <laughs> not perhaps, Bennett, that these doctors didn't know the science. There are situations where... Doctors will bury the science because it is not in the benefit of what is a multi-billion-dollar organization like the National Football League. And then I guess you start hearing about dozens and dozens of players yes. who yes. retired had all kinds of me mental problems, anger, explosions. You know, they couldn't even control themselves, right? Yes, what I did was, again, my depression, I had no social life, I had no girlfriend, so I had time on my hands. I was making very good money as a doctor, so I had expendable money. 
So I started traveling around the country during my spare time to meet families of retired players. I remember once I was driving through rural Mississippi, like 11 p.m. at night. I had a late flight that was delayed. And I got to the station to fill up my gas, and the black man that was there was looking at me like I was crazy. He said, boy, you need to stay here till morning. These places are not good places. I didn't know. I thought I was doing a good thing. Okay. So I was visiting them, and now so that these people were suffering in silence, mm -hmm. in obscurity. Mm-hmm. That America was entertained by these men and their families, made lots of money for many people. And then once they retired, they were expendable. America chose to look the other way while these people, I'm tearing up now, suffered. You know, well, so that was a great player that said to me, Bernard, you know, at least this thing I have now has a name. I've been to so many doctors. I'm telling them I'm having problems. And you know what they tell me? That I'm depressed. I'm not handling my retirement well. At least it has a disease. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. My brain was damaged by football. Thank you so much. That is all I need. If I die today, I'll die happy. Wow. And and you put the name to it, C-T-E. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands. And I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. Well, I have talked to football players. In fact, we just hosted Joe Theismann, who was the quarterback for the then Washington Redskins in the 80s here on this podcast. He, yeah. he had suffered a gruesome career-ending injury on the field to his leg. I mean, it's people it's known as the worst injury ever, snapping his leg in half. But, you know, I asked him. If you knew then what you know now, would you have chosen a different path? And he said, nope, I do everything the same. The experience I had in the NFL is something I'd never give up. These people make a choice to get out there and play. And now, especially with your research, they know the dangers. Parents know the dangers when they they let their kids play football. You know, thank you for bringing that up. 
It, you know, it's what I call conformational intelligence, conformational intelligence, whereby the expectations of society, cultures, norms and traditions of society control your intellect, your intuition, your way of thinking, your perception of the world. Okay. If an adult wants to play Russian below, wants to engage in skydiving or deep sea diving, wants to race cars, mm -hmm. good for him. I will be the first to fight, to die, to fight and die, to protect his rights, to do whatever he wants to do, as long as he does not endanger some other person's life. Right. In 1957, the American Academy of Pediatrics, these are the doctors that treat children in America, said that children, any child under the age of 12, should not play football. Then they did not know about the brain damage. They just said that the violence of the sport would undermine the musculoskeletal development of children. Yeah. 11 years before I was born. In 2011, the same American Academy of Pediatrics, now with their Canadian counterparts, published another position paper that parents and doctors should begin to guide their children away from sports whereby intentional blows to the head are intrinsic to play. Mm. There was a recent paper that came up that children who played football, 40% of them by the age of 30 have already developed CTE. Because of concussions. And the sub-concussions. And all we know, it will only take one season for your child to suffer irreparable brain damage. Studies have shown that after one season, that a child has suffered forensically significant brain trauma and brain damage. Only after one season. America, wake up! Yeah. Whenever, in the history of man, especially modern man, whenever we identify a risk factor, something that could endanger the lives of children, what do we do? We immediately remove children from there. Children don't drink alcohol today. A child cannot smoke even a stick of cigarette. In the state of California, if a child is in a car, you cannot smoke inside that car. So which is more dangerous? A violent blow to the head, sometimes over 100 G-force. A violent blow to the head on the head that contains an organ that is less than 3% of the body weight, right. 60 to 80% of water, an organ that does not have any reasonable capacity to regenerate itself. Tell me, could you safer? A stick of cigarette, a glass of fine wine, or a concussion? I just attended the USC-Arizona football game Saturday night. These kids were out there slamming the heck out of each other. And quite frankly, I, I was cheering for the teams because my kid goes to USC. All of them on the field trying to catch the eye of the NFL so they can be drafted and live that multi-million dollar life. You've written... But did you... Well, sorry to cut you short. Sorry. I've attended only one NFL, one football game in my life. The first thing I noticed, majority of the players were black men. Yeah. Uh, did you notice it? Yeah. 
So like I have always said, football has become the civil rights issue of our time. I've been told the majority of those black men come from the southern states, six southern states. Many of them come from the lower socioeconomic strata. So they are being sold a lie that football will help you rise. I've asked them, what is more likely to enable you to live in a multi-million dollar home at the age of 60, being a doctor or lawyer or playing football? Well, we've studied football players after the fact, and when they retire, a huge portion of them go bankrupt. You've written a book called Truth Doesn't Have a Side, My Alarming Discovery About the Danger of Contact Sports. Today, here we are, Bennett. The movie was made about you. Will Smith played you. What was that like? The world finally heard and saw, in a much broader sense, what you discovered. You know, I I have every respect for Will Smith because when he did that movie, he knew that there were going to be consequences. But he chose to do it. And I think we are today, the uh, what we know, many more people know about the dangers of playing high-impact, high-contact sports right. because of Will Smith playing the role of Dr. Marlowe in the movie Concussion. So I give him every credit. I respect him so much. And he did what he had to do to again contribute his part. Okay, because the first day I met Will Smith at the Bel Air Hotel, he kept on asking me, Bennett, are you crazy? Why did you do what you did? Tell me, he kept on asking, why did you do what you did? I said I did it to vindicate my website, to contribute my own part, to make the life of someone else better. Mm. And he said, if Bennett could do this, why couldn't he? And I bless his soul for doing that movie. Well, the courage that it takes is something I want to end on, Bennett. People are listening right now. Some of them have been in a situation where they discovered something that, if released, would be very unpopular. But they went ahead and did it anyway, or they're mulling it. They're deciding whether to do it. Even when the world feels like it's ganging up against you, what is your message about standing strong? My message is the truth will always prevail. And when it prevails, on whose side are you? Mm. The truth or the alternative truth? What is the truth? The truth is that thing you do, that decision you make, that thing you say that enhances the humanity and the dignity of all mankind. If it enhances just your own humanity and dignity, or just the humanity and dignity of a select few, it is not the truth. In the movie Concussion, a very passionate scene, Will Smith was telling an NFL doctor, tell the truth, tell the truth. We need to tell American children the truth about the dangers of football, and not just football, the high impact, high contact sports, ice hockey, mixed martial arts, wrestling, boxing, and rugby. 
I'm breathless because it's going to make me really think much more about watching these contact sports and certainly just appreciating the work that you have done and the bravery you've shown. Dr. Bennett Omalu, thank you so much for joining us on Everyone Talks to Liz and telling this very impactful story. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz, for reaching out to me. I'm very humbled and honored. Thank you so much. Uh, you guys, he's humbled. I'm humbled. Uh, he, to me, is a celebrity. Anybody who stands up for the truth, we journalists try and do that every day at great expense and at great cost in many cases. And I just want to say thank you for, for listening today to his story. Please spread the word. Pass it on to other people. And again, I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on The Claim and Countdown. You know I love you guys for tuning in. Thank you. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.